Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Good to see you as always, sir. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, everyone. You know, we said it last night, but now we can really say it. You know, we're saying Merry Christmas as in Merry Christmas season. But today, we say Merry Christmas because it is. It is a merry, merry Christmas. So glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, you notice in the bulletin there's a QR code. We'd love to have you scan that. It'll open a web page. Scroll down to the bottom. There's a connection card for you to fill out. We'd love to have you do that. Promise not to harass you. Uh, we just want to know that you're here with us. Um, also, Barbara wanted me to make an announcement to make sure everybody knows that. And I guess we'll start more in January about if you want to come sing in the choir loft on Sunday morning. She's standing up. She's got something to say. Oh. So if you'd like to come sing in the choir loft, you're welcome to do so. Um, there's no requirement for talent. There's no requirement. There's not. There's not. You're going to make a joyful noise. Um, and I'm not saying that about any of the folks that are coming up here at all. But if you just want to sing, just come on up. And, and there's not going to be any choir practices or anything like that. No requirement. So just come and sing if you feel comfortable doing so. A few other announcements. There's not going to be any Sunday night activities tonight, nor will there be any Wednesday activities uh, on Wednesday. I want to remind you of our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We continue to take that through the month of January. At this point, our church has given $4,200 toward our $6,500 goal. And so pray that you continue uh, to ask that you continue to pray as to how God might lead you to give. Reminder, next Sunday night, we will start a study on this book called Side by Side by Ed Welch. Uh, it's, the subtitle is Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. It's how we can do one another ministry with each other, how we can be good listeners and how we can have something to say uh, to folks that are going through a, struggled, a, a time of struggle. So you can order this on Amazon, various numbers of places, Kindle, um, in fact, your phone's probably listening to you, and it's probably already on the way to your house. Um, there's also a gold box in the back. If you look in the bulletin, and it says we want to thank James. Of course, James Sturgeon. Um, and James is visiting with us today. He's thinking, you want to thank me with money? No, different James, different James. James Sturgeon was our minister of music for three years, and we want to encourage him and thank him for his faithful service. So if you wish to... Uh, if you haven't already, there's a gold box in the back. I encourage you to give toward that love offering. And then finally, uh, before we come to our time of, of a call to worship, next Sunday we will begin as a church an emphasis on Scripture memory. And uh, you hope, maybe not all of you got it, but we're going to, to, to use what's called fighter verses. John Piper's church uh, began fighter verses uh, years ago. There's actually an app that you can download, and we'll be in year three when we start. So if you'd like to download that app, uh, it'll give you some ways to, to help you with memorization. But David the psalmist said, he said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And there's numerous reasons why we should hide the word of God in our heart. So we're going to start that as a church next Sunday. Any announcements that need to be made? Anyone else? All right. Well, then let's stand together. We're going to have one last candle lighting. You can go ahead and stand. 
We're going to light the Advent candles one last time. And you might think, well, Advent's over. Well, Advent's never really over, is it? Because at this time of year, we look back and we remember Christ's first coming. But we are always, or His first Advent. But we're always looking toward His second Advent, His second coming. So, Miss Bond's going to come and light the candles today. We light an Advent candle. I'm sorry, that's not what I want to say. We're going to just read these scriptures together. So if you would, just read along with me. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's worship together. say something real quick there's going to be four verses to this and the last one you have not heard before but it's the same tune and it's so full of of the of gospel truth that as you sing it there's going to be a smile come on your face i just know it so i wanted you to prepare for that so when new words come up there you wouldn't think that we're all confused so sorry about that
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them to exact them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to um, get back to the Lord out of the overflow he's given to us. Um, so let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful once again uh, for how you love us and how you sent your one and only son. Uh, and just as the wise men gave gifts, re realizing that the Christ was indeed the greatest gift the world has ever received, uh, those of us that have Christ uh, as a light in our heart, that he's our Savior and our Lord, we realize that there's nothing in this life that um, is, is too big or too small for us to give to you. So we pray, God, that as we give gladly out of the overflow of our own hearts, uh, Lord, that you would take this and know that would we were we able to give much, much more, we would. But Lord, take this and, and know the content of our hearts, that we, we truly do love you and adore you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.
well. That's right, you needed exercise anyway. I've eaten a lot of cookies. You can probably tell. Um, Denise had hoped to share this song with you, the song that we're about to play. She's had a rough go here recently, and we're so glad you're here with us this morning, Denise. Um, pray for her. I mean, she's just dealing with some health health stuff right now, and I know she covered your prayers. But there's a song by Francesca Bottistelli that she wanted to share with us today, and unfortunately, she's not able to sing. And so we're going to enjoy this song together. There's a lyric video that's going to play. It won't be as good as Denise singing. But I just pray that, you, that this song blesses you.
Okay, while you're turning to Colossians 1, I'm going to do something about the... My eyeballs started sweating. Colossians chapter 1. You might think that's an odd place to be on Christmas morning. It will make sense. I think the pulpit's on. No worries. All right. Am I on? Colossians chapter 1. Be in verses 19 to 22 today. If you didn't bring a Bible, you should find one somewhere around you. Uh, If you'll turn to the back of that Bible, which is where the New Testament is located, and you'll find 157 in the back, you will find Colossians 1, 19 through 22. That'll be our text for this morning. If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. This is God's word. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the truth in this scripture that Christ came into the world to save sinners. As Paul says of himself, of whom I am the worst. We're grateful, Lord, that there are no depths of sin that cannot be reached by the reconciling death of our Savior. We thank you that as as low and as dark as we can be, the Savior's grace and salvation is deeper and brighter. As we gaze upon the incarnation today and consider the work of Jesus in coming to earth, Father, draw us to you in awe. And for those that don't know you today as Savior and Lord, I pray, God, that you would till up the hard ground of their heart and plant there in that freshly tilled ground the ever-growing seed of the gospel. And may it take root, may it produce fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to begin by situating this morning's text from Colossians chapter 1 in the greater story of Christmas. And that's found Matthew chapter 1, other places. Um, you know, Matthew and Luke are the most famous. But here in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, Matthew records it this way. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Christmas regularly affords us an opportunity 
to ponder the glory of the Incarnation. The glory of the Incarnation has consumed the minds of men and women for over 2,000 years. But in that consuming pursuit of understanding the Incarnation, not all that has emerged from that has correctly understood the Incarnation. In fact, in the early days of the Christian church, there were a number of heresies specifically about Jesus and Him being God and man in one person. So councils convened and they issued statements, creeds, confessions. And those weren't to add to the Bible. They were to correct false teaching. They're not contradicting the Bible or adding to it. They're simply distilling the Bible's teachings on the Incarnation so as to make them plain. Now one of those is called the Chalcedonian Definition. And I'm going to read a good portion of it. hope your eyes don't glaze over, but follow along because there's a lot of deep truth in here that is not just for people in college, in a university somewhere, sitting behind a lectern, lecturing students. This is for us. So here's what the Chalcedonian definition says. We then, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead, and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable or rational soul and body, of the same substance and essence as the Father according to the Godhead, and of the same substance and essence as us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, And in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature, talking about God and man, being preserved and concurring in one person and one substance and essence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was a mouthful. And you might think this sounds like something an egg-headed theology professor would include in their really, really thick books that are full of hyphenated words. But our consideration of the Incarnation isn't merely a theological exercise. It is, because we are theological people, we can't get around that. But it is more than that. Considering the Incarnation points us to hope, and we find that hope in Matthew 1, verse 21, where it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, you notice that's highlighted there because I want to draw attention to that. Because in the earlier verses, it talks about the incarnation, that that Mary will conceive. The child that's within her is by the Holy Spirit. So there's the incarnation. But why? Because Jesus will save his people from their sins. Well, that begs the question, why do people need to get saved? Well, this verse, this text from this morning, it tells us tells us, first of all, people need to get saved because sinful man is alienated from God and hostile in mind toward him. Look in verse uh, 21. 
And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. We're alienated from God when we're born into this world because of sin. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were sent out of the garden because they sinned. And Romans 3.23 says, Now all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we connect the two together, Adam's fall and all falling short of the glory of God because of their sin in Romans 5.19 where it says, Through the one man's disobedience, that's talking about Adam, the many, that's everyone else. Everyone else who's ever lived but Christ. Through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And so because of our first parents' sin, the world is alienated from God. And not only that, hostile in mind. Let me, before I go on, alienated means that we're separated from, we're apart from, have no access to. But not only are we alienated from God, we're hostile in mind toward Him. That's why people need to get saved, because they're hostile in mind toward God. A word that I have in mind is a word that I used last week. It's the word enmity. Enmity, hostility. They're very close. Enmity gives us the word enemy. One study Bible put it this way. When it says in verse 21, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, keep that word, that phrase, hostile in mind, keep that in mind as you listen to this. The phrase in your minds does not imply that this enmity is merely imaginary. Instead, this enmity issues from, it proceeds from, a conscious decision to pursue evil behavior. And so how is it proved that a person is uh, alienated from God and hostile in mind toward Him? What's at the end of that verse? Verse 21, you're engaged in evil deeds. And so the alienation... And the hostility in mind are demonstrated through the evil deeds. You know, you're sick when you get fever and you start running nose and coughing and such. Those are the symptoms that show that you are sick. Being engaged in evil deeds are the symptoms of the greater problem of being alienated from God and hostile in mind. People also need to get saved because sinful man can't save himself. Look in verse 22 and you'll see. It says at the end there, In order to present you before Him, and that's God, before Him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now, I, I mention that because the requirements for anyone to stand in the presence of Almighty God is they must be holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now, no person, No man can present himself before God having met these requirements. That's why Paul reiterates in a number of places, through him. You see it in verse 20. Through him to reconcile all things to himself. Through him, I say. See, if man could save himself, Christ coming into the world in that beautiful song that we just heard, it would be be insignificant. Why in the world would Christ come in a human body, God and man, die on the cross if we could just do it all ourselves, just pull ourselves up with our own bootstraps? That's why Paul says over and over, through him, in him, by him. 
People also need to get saved because God will reconcile all things. You notice again in verse 20. It says, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Now, here's what that means, and I'm going to come back to this later. It means that there will be a day and time in which good and evil will be separated. Those who are born again, those who are, as the Bible calls, sheep, they'll be separated from the goats. And the goats will be sent to an eternity in hell. And the sheep will come into the Father's kingdom. And that kingdom won't be like this earth where there's sickness and death and misery and famine and hunger and poverty. It won't be like that. It will be a perfect place. That's what's meant by God will reconcile all things. So think of it first in this way. God's going to make a perfect world. And and it says that he's going to do that through Jesus Christ. And so when that perfect world is made new, God's not going to allow anything in it that's going to demean his glory. And so that means that anyone who is sinful, they won't be a part of that. They will be gone. And so why do people need to get saved? It's because when God reconciles the world through Christ, I mean, some are going to go into the Father's kingdom and enjoy His presence for all eternity, while others in the reconciliation will be separated. will have nothing but misery, condemnation, hellfire for the rest of their days. Matthew 3.10 says this, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. This is John the Baptist talking about Jesus and His coming. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's talking about people who feel like that they can kind of do it myself. You know, I can produce the fruit I need so God will accept me. And God's the fruit inspector. And it says that the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. God's ready to cut down and to do away with the, the trees that don't bear fruit, that don't. And by trees, talking about individual people. People who don't bear the fruit of righteousness, that are holy and blameless and above reproach. In fact, in verse 12 of that same chapter, talking about Jesus and using a different metaphor, John the Baptist says, His winnowing fork is in his hand. Now, winnowing, understand when when you gather wheat, they would tread it out, thresh it out, and then they'd take a, a, a sort of like a scoop, and they would throw that all of that together, the wheat and the chaff together, throw it up in the air, and the wind would carry the chaff away. And the chaff, listen to what he says, he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. So what he means by that, he said, at, at, at the day of judgment, everyone who has ever lived will come to Christ's threshing floor, and he will thresh. And those, there will be some who are chaff, and there will be some who are wheat. And listen to what happens. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. Not one thing will get through. Every piece of wheat, every piece of chaff. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn. But listen to what happens with the chaff. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
Why do people need to get saved? Because God will reconcile all things. Well, how does Jesus save people? And I want to submit to you three things. First, by living a perfectly obedient life. Now, I think it stands to reason here. I think you can follow this. For Christ to obey perfectly on the sinner's behalf, he must have a physical human body. So again, these are practical considerations of the incarnation. Well, why is this important? Well, it has to do with Christ dying on the cross. Hebrews 9.22 says this, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. So there must be blood shed in order for there to be forgiveness. And the shedding of blood for forgiveness came from animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. And the animals that were presented for sacrifice were to be without spot or blemish in order for the sacrifice to be effective. Listen to what John says. John the Baptist in John chapter 1 verse 29. When he saw Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If Christ was to take away the sin of the world, he must be blameless. In fact, he must meet the requirements in verse 22, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. And so without his perfect life, his death on the sinner's behalf, it would be pointless. I mean, why? It's just one sinner dying for another, which does nothing. So Jesus saves by living a perfectly obedient life, but he also saves people by dying a perfectly satisfactory death. That's a key word, satisfactory. Now again, we understand, in order for Christ to die, he's got to have a body. Notice what God does, how God is satisfied in Christ's death. Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace. Christ makes peace through the blood of His cross. He takes care of the enmity, the hostility between God and sinful man. And without that peace, if Christ doesn't do something about the enmity between God and man, there is no hope for reconciliation. That's why it says in verse 20, through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, And and then it says, this is the basis by which Christ is going to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So Jesus makes peace through his death. He reconciles through his death. And I want to say this again. There's two understandings of reconcile in this text. The first we find in verse 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things on earth. In heaven. Now when we say reconcile here, again, I want to reiterate this way. And I I got this from a study Bible note. All things, when when it says reconcile all things, whether heaven or earth, it's talking about all things being put in proper relation to Christ. Everyone and everything will be reconciled in this sense and will be subordinated to Christ. Philippians 2 says, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus as the Prince of Peace will ultimately squash all rebellion 
against God and His purposes. And ultimately, Jesus will present to the Father a restored and fully ordered creation. That's one way of understanding reconciliation. But the second understanding we find in verse 22. Yet now, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death. Here Paul intends us to understand that Christ's death has dealt with the enmity of sin and has brought peace so that God and sinful men who who were formerly enemies can now be friends because of what Christ has done. Now to put the two of these understandings together is to say it simply this way. Only those reconciled to God can live with God in a reconciled universe. That's plain and simple what this is teaching. Finally, how does Jesus save people? Well, he saves saves them by perfecting the lost. Now, I want to explain what I mean by this phrase. Christ rose from the dead and he proved in his rising that what he did on the cross fully and completely, once and for all, paid the penalty for sin. Now, if he wasn't fully man, he couldn't have died. We've already said that. And if he wasn't fully God, listen, then he could not have risen from the dead. And if he hadn't have risen from the dead, he couldn't have shown that the Father had fully accepted his sacrifice and had broken the power of sin by paying the penalty for sin through his death. Unless Christ was risen from the dead, he couldn't present us to the Father. So without his perfectly obedient life, and his perfectly satisfactory death, first, we couldn't be justified. We couldn't be given his righteousness. That's what justified means. It means just as if I'd never sinned. Why? Because I have Christ's righteousness, and Christ never sinned. Justified also means it's just as if I'd always obeyed. Because I have Christ's righteousness and Christ always obeyed. So if Jesus hadn't lived the perfect life, he would have no righteousness to give us. None. And we wouldn't be justified. Neither could we be sanctified apart from Christ's perfect life and perfect death. Sanctified means that once and for all we've been set apart as holy. But then it also refers to our progressive day by day one foot in front of the other in our Christian walk where we grow more and more, transformed progressively day by day into the image of our Savior. But that's not it. Sorry, I've got to go back. We also couldn't be glorified apart from what Christ did. Apart from his justification and the transformation he produces in our sanctification, we could not be reconciled to the Father and presented to him as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We could not be presented to God as having Christ's righteousness if he had not had righteousness to give. See, when we have Christ's righteousness, then we meet the conditions in verse 22. We are holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Reproach. This is what I mean when I say, how does, Christ, how does Jesus save people? By perfecting them. He fully deals with their sin so that they can be presented to the Father. Finally, how does a person get saved? Three things. First, understand what God has done. Understand what God has done. Look at verse 19. 
For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. God is pleased to have the fullness of deity dwell in His Son. Why? Verses 21 and 22 say that, tell us so that sinners can be reconciled to God. And so, verse 22 again, so that we may be transformed by Him for an eternity with Him in a fully reconciled universe. That's, that's verse 20. And, and this is all God's doing. So how does a person get saved? First of all, you've you got to understand. This, what we celebrate at Christmas started way before Christmas. It started way before Adam and Eve were ever created, before the world was ever created. It was a plan in eternity past for God to, re- to reconcile through, to Himself, through Christ, sinners. It's, it started long, long ago. And it's God who worked in and through history. The decisions of men and women. It's no coincidence that everything that is prophesied about Christ came true. Now, why do I mention all of this? So that you'll understand that what God has done in Christ is no accident. He's working because He wants to save. He wants to reconcile. He wants to have peace. He wants to have a people before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's why I say this. Secondly, in order to get saved, a person needs to understand what Jesus has done. Jesus lived the perfect, perfectly obedient life. And He died the perfectly satisfactory death. Now there are three ways, and there may be more. These just came off the top of my head. Three ways to understand when I say understand what Jesus has done. There's three ways you can understand that. One person might say this. Well, Pastor, I read here where it says in verse 20, And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So, sounds like Jesus has done everything, so everything and everyone will be reconciled to Him no matter how they live. Some people have understood this verse that way. This is described as universal salvation. That Christ, um, you, can't, you can't put a limit on Christ's love and what He did in salvation and that God just cannot bear to have anyone outside the salvation wrought in Christ. Now this understanding of what Jesus has done, it just assumes complete divine sovereignty but there's no human responsibility. People just live how they want to and just expect God to clean up their mess when it all, when, when everything settles out in the end. And this is not true. This is 100% wrong. Yes, it is true that Christ has done everything. But you must repent of your sin. You must believe in Christ and the salvation. God is not going to repent for you. God's not going to believe for you. So so that's one understanding of what Jesus has done. Somebody else might say, well, 
If I read this right, Jesus has sort of opened the door for me. Now I've got to pick up the football where he left it, and I've got to run with it. I've got to finish what he started. And here the emphases are kind of flipped. In terms of human responsibility, humans have way more responsibility than than God does. It's almost as if unless humans pull up their end of the bargain, God really can't declare anybody saved. Really doesn't have anything to do with him in the end because we picked up the football, but guess what? We can fumble that thing. You know, if our assurance of salvation depends in any way at all on us, Listen to this. We're doomed. If our salvation, if we have to finish, if if Christ's work is incomplete and we've got to finish it, we're all doomed. Here's a third way to understand what Jesus has done. He's done everything necessary for salvation. And I must trust in what He's done. See, this emphasizes divine sovereignty and human responsibility. This is the correct teaching of the Bible. Finally, how does a person get saved? Well, you've got to understand what you must do. You've got to understand what God has done. You've got to understand what Christ has done, particularly for salvation. And that what Christ did particularly for salvation didn't just emerge out of nowhere. God did so much in human history in an eternity past to prepare a person to be saved. But we've got to understand what we must do. And first I want to say, you've got to understand that verse 21 is talking about all the unsaved. Again, I'm going to read it. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Now, Paul's writing to a group of people who are now Christians, but he's telling them, this is who you were. You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. So surely that's only talking about that group of people. No. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you've got to know that verse 21 is talking about you. And then, and then secondly, you have to believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Paul leaves us no other way of understanding it because he says... Through Him, through Him, through Him. You also have to repent of your sins. You also have to to say, repent means to change your mind. And then if I could give a, a, a kind of an object lesson. I'm walking this direction. I'm pursuing what I want in my life. And I'm under the control of this sinful world and the sin that's within me. And I'm by nature a child of wrath. I, I realize that I need Christ I I turn from that, and and I, I turn, and I come to Him. I walk away from this, and I walk toward Christ. That's what repentance is. But then you must put your faith in Christ's completed work. You've got to put your faith in Christ's completed work. I want you to listen to Romans 4, 4 and 5. I think this is pretty simple to understand. It says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. I think we understand that. You work, you get paid. But to the one who does not work, here talking about for salvation. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited 
is righteousness. So when you put your faith in Christ's completed work, your faith gives to you the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to close with these words from a friend and fellow pastor, and I think they're so appropriate. Christmas is not ultimately something you have. People have already asked me, have you had a good Christmas? We had Christmas here, we had Christmas there, no. Nor is there such a thing as a good or bad Christmas. Christmas just is, and that's the glory and beauty of it. No matter who your family is, no matter your health or financial situation, no matter your current status with the Lord, Christmas is, period. Nothing we can do can undo the glory of the incarnation. God has come to dwell with us without our permission and despite our rebellion to such a notion. There's nothing you can do to enhance or detract from this reality. God clothed himself in human flesh to fulfill all righteousness for his people, to fulfill the law and prophets, to bear in his body the sin on the cross, to bear God's wrath as a perfect substitute, to die, be buried, and rise again bodily, to ascend and reign forever as the God-man, to return to judge the living and the dead. Christmas is. There's no way around it. You can't have it here or there, and you can't add or detract from this truth in any way, great or small. This is what God has done. All God's plan, all God's initiative, flowing from eternal sovereign love and grace, God came to dwell with us. And the promise, and listen to this, the promise of God is that He will deny no one who comes to His Son in repentance and faith. Not a single person. Christmas shows us the seriousness of God to redeem His church. But let it also remind you of how God will judge those who refuse His Son. Will you follow this man? Will you serve Him as your King while trusting Him as your Savior? This is what Christmas is, friends. God has come to us in Christ, truly God and truly man, to secure a perfect redemption. So rest yourself in this wonderful reality even now. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Forsake all else. Turn from your sins and believe this truth. Christmas always is. For those who love God, what a joy and triumph for every season. Christ is King to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. What an amazing truth, Father. What an amazing truth. That your son came in a real human body to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That you weren't uh, cajoled or provoked or prodded into doing it. Out of your love and grace and mercy, you did this. You sent the darling of heaven to come to take on human flesh and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We praise you for his perfect life. We praise you for his perfectly satisfactory death. And Lord, if there's any here that don't know him as Savior and Lord today, I pray that they would understand their need for him, that they would cast themselves on your mercy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing Just As I Am. I encourage you if you want to at this time, any decision you may need to make, please do so. Let's stand and sing together.
Be seated for just a moment. We'll take just a minute or two and uh, see if there's anything we need to update on our prayer list. Judd's about the same? Doing all right. Good. Anyone have any news on Addie? Sue? Okay. So Santa Claus was good to her. Okay, good. Good, good. Um, any news on your mom, Barbara Griffin? Okay. So she fell and broke her leg. Okay. Is in the hospital right now. And how old is your mother? 93. So pray for Barbara Griffin. Um, and Bert is uh, he's home and he's going to rehab? He's in a rehab. In where? Temple. Okay. How long does he expect to be there? Okay. Good. Good. Continue to pray for the Trey Borak family. Reagan works at a, uh, a chiropractic clinic in Bryan, and uh, the wife of the doctor there had a friend whose son committed suicide. So uh, pray. That's got to be so incredibly difficult for them this holiday season. So pray for the Trey Borak family. Um, do you have any updates while I continue to look through this? Thank you. Good. So, um, so they think they got it all in the surgery? Yes. Praise the Lord. So after Okay. Continue to pray for Denise's brothers. They're fighting uh, stage four cancer. Yes. Okay. All right. Oh no. Okay. Okay. And any new any update you want to give on your mom? I don't know if y'all noticed, but Joel's sister, Nancy Hermes, was here last night. She was grateful that we are praying for her. Continue to pray for her. Anyone else? Okay. Well, we're going to stand. I'll say a word of prayer, intercede for these requests, and then we will dismiss by saying the Great Commission together and hope you all have a merry, merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we do lift up all of those that have been mentioned here this morning and even those that are, were unmentioned. Uh, we know that there are a number of people that are dealing with uh, any number of different problems, uh, cancer and a young baby born early and uh, having some health issues and um, death. And, uh, Lord, we, we trust that you being the good God that you are, being all-knowing and all-powerful, that you can meet needs in ways that we can only begin to imagine. And we pray that you do so. You do so in such a way that your glory is uh, not to be missed. And for those that love you and have been born again, that they would have their hearts deepened in their trust and love for you and for those that don't know you, that they could in this moment look and see who, who or how, how could this happen? How, how could this miracle happen? And that in that, in that space, 
someone could come with a gospel message and share with them how a good God can perform a miracle like this and even greater ones where their lives might be transformed by knowing the gospel. Lord, I pray that as we go our separate ways and enjoy the rest of this Christmas season, that our hearts would, would continue to, to circle back to the manger, to the, the baby that was born on Christmas Day, who was born to save us from our sins. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them,